0: Father, thank you that peace has come in Christ. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we want to ask again by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us, instruct us, show us Christ. Thank you, Father, for your revelation in him. We would have never found you if you hadn't shown us Jesus. God be glorified this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to take a break this week from our series in Mark and look at um, the, the, the story of the Annunciation to Mary and Joseph particularly this morning. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 for a few minutes. So I want to encourage you to look there. And the next week we're going to pick back up with our study in Mark. So um, on the back of your bulletin should be the passages for next week. Be sure and read ahead so that you'll come with plenty of questions to be answered when Jared preaches to us next week, okay? And there's only going to be one service, so be aware that, well, what are you people, you, that, this, is all the, this is the one you come to anyway, so you're good to go. But let's look, in, um, let's look in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18, and we're going to talk about three folks here. It says there in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We want to look at three folks this morning. We're going to look at them in the order they appear here. We're going to look at first Mary, then we're going to look at Joseph, and then we're going to look at Jesus just for a few minutes. So let's start with Mary. Look there in verse 18. We're introduced to Mary. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now enough of us have been to high school to have known someone who wished this could be their case. And you know, if this were a little less rare, then it would make high school graduation a lot less awkward at a lot of high schools in America, right? But friends, this is it. This is the one. This is the only time this has ever happened, ever going to happen, that a virgin will conceive. Matthew doesn't talk with us much about Mary's story. Matthew is writing to a Hebrew audience, and so he's going to concentrate more on Joseph. We get more of Mary's story from Luke. Let's look over there for just a few minutes in Luke chapter 1. Luke is the one who's going to tell us that he's the physician, he's the traveling companion, he's going to tell us the little more intimate, personal side of the thing. And when when the angel comes to Mary, very similar to what we have happening here with Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, the angel comes to Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 28... Look at what it says. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Well, that kind of freaked her out. Look at verse 29. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In other words, who are you and what are you talking about? Uh, greatly, f- O favored one, the Lord is with you. I wonder if she, you know, if today we would think of that as a spam email, right? Just send that over to the spam catcher. And but you know... That greeting that he gave to her it reminds me of that guy. You remember? Remember that little guy over in the Old Testament named Gideon? He's down there, and he's. He's threshing out the grain, and he doesn't want the bad guys to see him. And so he's down in a wine press. He's down in a hole threshing out grain. And that's not where you thresh out grain. You thresh out grain in an open area so that when you thresh the grain, you pick up the grain and the husk, and the wind blows the husk away, and the grain falls to the ground. He's down in a hole with all the dust and the husk and all the mess, and he's trying to hide down there because if the enemy sees it, they're going to come steal his food. And while he's down there in a hole, an angel appears to him in Judges chapter 6 and says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I wonder if Gideon looked at him and said, Have you heard of the 90-pound weakling? I weigh 87 pounds. I don't even rate that. And yet, the angel of the Lord is dealing with these people in terms of who he knows them to be. Here we're dealing with a girl, what is she, 13, 14, 15 years old? And the angel of the Lord comes to her and says, Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Isn't it wonderful that when we're sitting here looking over our shoulder, are are you talking to my older sister? She's the charming one. You must be thinking of her. When we're trying to figure out who it is you're really referring yourself to, that God is dealing with us in terms of who He knows we really are or who He knows He's going to make us become. You remember when Nathaniel came walking up to Jesus and Jesus looks at him and says, Ah, here's you, a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. He dealt with Nathanael in terms of who he knew him to be. But When it came to Simon Peter, he said, you are Simon, but you will be Peter. He dealt with him in terms of who he was going to cause him to become. And isn't it wonderful that God always deals with us in terms of what He knows, not in terms of what our neighbors know, not in terms of what our families know, and not even in terms of what we know. Mary looks at she's, she's troubled at this. Look at verse 29. She was greatly troubled saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. There are strange things afoot at the Circle K. Extra credit if you can get the movie reference there. Look at verse 30. He continues. Do not be afraid, Mary. This is the angel talking. You found favor with God. Verse 31, you will conceive. You'll bear a son. His name's Jesus. Verse 32, he'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. Have the throne of his father David. Verse 33, he'll reign over the house of Jacob. His kingdom, there will be no end. And her question in verse 34, her response is, How will this be since I am a virgin? And you know what? That's a good question. Kind of like, thank you for class participation. We appreciate your involvement here. God is not scared of your questions. God has been asked questions all the way from the beginning. He's not afraid of your questions. He invites your questions. What he, what he has a real problem with is refusal and disobedience. Mary comes to him in a very honest and simple fashion and says, I don't understand this. And he answers her question. He remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. He, he understands where we're coming from. But when she comes to him with a simple question, he just looks at it and says, well, let me explain. This is what's going to happen there in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then he just kind of interjects. Now, I know this is a weird thing. I know you've never heard of this before, but I'm telling you the truth, and here's proof of it. I'm giving you an evidence, verse 36. Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So here comes the, whole, the angel. And he appears to Mary and he says, we have, I'm here to talk to you. I want you to bear, to carry the Son of God. How do you feel about that? What do you think? You up for that? You ever thought about all the people that, Jesus, that, that God called throughout the Bible? You know, he comes to Moses. He's out there wandering around that day. He says, Moses, I want you to deliver my people, Israel, from Egypt. Moses had four responses. He had four answers to that simple request. I want you to go down here and just do what I tell you to do. His first response was, well, who am I? In Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, who, who am I? I? I'm a nobody. And do you know that's who Jesus came for? You remember that passage in 1 Corinthians when he said, you know, there are not many of you that are wise or of noble birth or very influential, and yet God used you. Why? Friends, it's not because of what we contribute, it's because of who he is. He's not looking for the qualified, he's looking for the willing. And Moses came to him and said, well, well, who am I? I'm a nobody. His second response was, well, who are you? God said, don't worry about who I am, I can take care of who I am. I am that I am, I got that one covered. Moses is just looking for an out, and so he comes to a third excuse. Over in chapter 4, verse 10, when he looks at him and says, I can't. You know, I just don't have the training, I don't have the background for that, I had not got the right experience, education, I can't speak well, can't talk good, (laughs) I think that's bad English, isn't it, but anyway, (laughs) why don't you send somebody else, and so God finally says, all right, I'll send your brother Aaron, and so Aaron does go down there, and Aaron speaks a few times, you know who ends up doing most of the talking? Moses, just go do what God's called you to do. I can't do it. I just I just can't. And then he finally comes on that fourth excuse to the real reason. The real excuse that he has. You know what it is? I don't want to. <laughs> I, I don't want to. In Exodus 4.12, go get somebody else. And here he comes to this little 13, 14, 15-year-old girl and says, Hey, you want to be pregnant out of wedlock? He went to Jeremiah over in chapter 1 and said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah looks at him and says, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. Go get somebody. I am too young for this. And after years of ministry, after years of experience, the difficulty of ministry when Jeremiah finally said, You know, I have had all the fun I can stand, and he quit for years. Jeremiah quit the ministry for years. They're throwing him in wells that are supposedly dry, but he's sinking up to his armpits in mud, and they're beating him up, and they're tearing up his writings, and they're ignoring God. Not one convert, the entire ministry of Jeremiah. How long would you last? Jeremiah looked at God and said, I've had all the fun I can stand. He looks at him in in Jeremiah chapter 20 and says, Oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. I became a laughing stock all day, and everyone mocks me. Cursed is the day I was born. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? God came to Jeremiah and said, I have something for you to do. I'd really rather not. And you know, he comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go down there to Nineveh. I want you to tell those people the gospel. Jonah didn't say a word. He didn't answer. He didn't say a word. He just went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarsus, paid the fare, went on board to go with them to Tarsus, away from the presence of the Lord, as if God isn't in Tarsus. It's like going to Magna, right? (laughs) You know what's interesting about the time you get to Magna? God's there too. Because he didn't even make it to Tarsus. He was while en route to Tarsus, but that little fishy got a little bit hungry, right? Had... What would you call sushi? We need to work on that. I just now thought of that. But anyway, we'll work on it another time. What would you call human sushi? Had had Jonah for lunch. And in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, He cried out from the belly of the whale, and the Lord God heard him. And in verse 10, it says, The Lord God spoke to the fish and caused him to vomit Jonah up on the shore. He didn't even make it to Tarshish. And friend, all of these people that God comes to him and says, I have something for you to do. And they find any way to get out of it that they possibly can. And here he comes to this little girl... It says, I want you to be pregnant out of wedlock in a society where, legally, you will qualify for the death penalty. Religiously, you will qualify for hell. Socially, you will qualify to be cast out. How, how does that sound to you? How, how does that work for you? What do you, what do you think, Mary? And in light of all of the great prophets of God and all of the great great leaders of God who came to Him and said, do this. And they said, let me think about it. I need to pray about it. And Mary looks at Him in Luke 1, 38 and says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to Your word. And with that, the angel departed from her. And in complete submission to God's will for her life, she looked at her cousin Elizabeth in verse 46 and said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 48, From now on all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me. Think about that. Here she is just this child. And she looks at the prospect of pregnancy outside of wedlock and says, That sounds great. (laughs) All generations are going to call me blessed. And the angel of the Lord departed. You know what's interesting to me about that? When the angel of the Lord, he came to Mary and he talked to Mary. He said, here's something that we have for you to do. There's a calling on your life. He didn't, the angel of the Lord didn't go clear it with her parents first. Didn't go clear it with her fiance first. He didn't go clear it with society. He came and talked to her and said, I have a calling for your life. What are you going to do? And when Mary looked at him and said... My soul glorifies the Lord. I'll do anything you tell me to do. Then the angel of the Lord said, okay, now I'm going to take care of everybody around that. And now he goes and talks to Joseph. So first off, we have Mary. Secondly, we have Joseph. Turn back to Matthew chapter 1 there, if you would. Joseph's an interesting fellow. We don't... We don't see very much of Joseph. We know very little about him. We do know in verse 19 that it says he's a just man. He's a righteous man. He must have greatly loved Mary because he did not want to put her, it says, to public shame. He resolved to divorce her quietly. But God had other things in mind. And having secured Mary's participation in this situation, he sent an angel to talk with Joseph. Let's look at what it says there in verse 20. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Have you ever woken up from a dream and done what the dream told you to do? How'd that work for you? How'd that work with your friends? What'd they think of you? Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the, as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is not normal, okay? This is not This is not how normal people get married. Get married and wait six months to have relations with one another. Uh, he didn't know her until she gave birth to a son. It's about six months later. It's not, it's not typical that people get a name for their kid in a dream or someone else gives them a name and they say, yeah, that's a great name. I think I'll go with that. This is not normal stuff. And what's fascinating about Joseph is that every time we see him in the book of Matthew, he's doing the same strange thing in response to a strange situation. Look there in chapter 2, verse 13. Herod, po- politics, the political situation is heating up. And some folks have come in to visit this this Christ child, the one the star is pointed to. And Herod's all scared. And In verse 13, Herod has a scheme in mind. So an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. Second time we see J- Joseph having a dream and doing what the dream tells him to do. Is he highly impressionable or is he obedient? <laughs> this guy has a business in town. What sign did he leave on the door? You know, gone to Egypt on a dream, seeing a, you know... <laughs> the nightmares over what you know what's not how do you close your business and then when Herod had died in accordance with the prophecy in Hosea 11 1, God sends another angel to Joseph and says in Matthew chapter 2 verse 19 appeared to dream to Joseph in Egypt rise take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead and he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel can you see him getting back there, trying to start his business back up? So where have you been, Joseph? Well, we went to Egypt. Wow. Did you go there on a cruise? No, I went there on a dream. Well, okay. And um, you're going to build some uh, some cabinets for our kitchen, right? Yeah, I'm going to build you some cabinets. What brought you back? A dream. Okay. Um, you know, most contractors kind of wait till halfway through the job to get enough money to go get loaded and never show up again. Um, how long are you going to be here, Joseph? No, I'm here. How how would this float in your house? And they're finally coming back. They're coming back into Israel and trying to figure out where to live and can't decide if it's West Jordan or Holiday. Sandy's good, but all the cool people live in Sugar House, and we know that. Right? Just ask them. But Matthew 2.22, being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. And in John 1.46, Nathaniel looked at him and said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Friends, four times we see Joseph in the book of Matthew. Four times he has a dream. Four times he does what the dream tells him to do. Isn't that fascinating? We we really don't know anything else about him. But we do know this one thing. He's an obedient man. He's a just man. He's a righteous man. And when God spoke to him and told him to do something, you know what he did? He just did it. Is that enough? Is that enough of an epitaph? When you get to the end, when Joseph's other children, Jesus had four half-brothers and at least two half-sisters. We know that from other passages. When we get to the end, we get to the funeral and Jesus has brothers and half sisters stand up and they look at him and say, you know, our dad just did what God told him to do. Would that be good enough? Joseph was a righteous man. He just did what God told him to do. First off, Mary. Secondly, Joseph. Now let's look at Jesus. Jesus is the subject of this whole story anyway. This entire event is to explain his introduction. Let's go back there in Matthew chapter 1. Let's look at verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And it's interesting to me the verbiage that the angel uses to explain what's going to happen to Joseph. Look in verse 20. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What I find fascinating about this is that Joseph had absolutely no problems with God as the father. He had absolutely no problems with the Holy Spirit as God. And friends, we live in a society that, oh, people are glad to talk about God. They're glad to talk about spiritual things. If it's spooky and gives them a chill down their spine, they're glad to talk about it and probably get a reality show on E pretty soon, you know. They're glad to talk about all kinds of things, but but there's a rub here. Friends, the Jews didn't have a problem with God. They didn't have a problem with the Holy Spirit. They see both of both of these. Dual expressions of the single Godhead all the way through the Old Testament. We look now and we realize Jesus is in there thousands of times. But when they look at it, they go, Okay, we can see the Father, we get it. We see the Holy Spirit, we get it. But this Jesus guy, we don't like Him. <laughs> we, we, he gets in our face and we really don't appreciate Him. The Father, we get it. We have figured out how to... Interpret his teachings, his instruction, the way that makes us feel comfortable. We figured that one out. The Holy Spirit, we can turn him off well enough, but this Jesus guy, he just won't get out of our face. (laughs) We found ways to marginalize God and ignore the Holy Spirit, but it's easy to reduce obedience to outward conduct rather than inward submission. And it's easy to equate importance to God with what we know rather than who we are. And friends, Jesus is always bringing it back to who you are. And where does this guy come off telling us that we don't know God? They look at him in John chapter 8, the Pharisees did, and they said to him, We're not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. And even there, right there, they're saying that Jesus is illegitimate. We know who we are. You're you're the one who's of of illegitimate parentage here. We should ignore you. And friends, isn't it interesting that we live in a day where spirituality can be talked about, religion, a lot of religion can be talked about, mysticism and anything ethereal. It it can be a real popular subject. Oprah's made millions on it. But when a woman stood up in Oprah's audience one day and said, yeah, but Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oprah looked at her and said, but you don't believe that, do you? It's this Jesus guy. He's the rub. Friends, this is the one the whole story is about. Who is he? And what are you going to do with him? The purpose of this whole birth is to never leave us where we are. Look there in verse 21. He never leaves us where we are, but instead, He says, you shall bear a son, and you will call His name Jesus. Why? He tells us why. For He will save His people from their sins. Friends, there is victory over sin in Jesus Christ. He didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us where we are. He comes to us where we are and says, I have some place for you to go. You come with me. Follow me. And I'm going to change you. He saves us from our sins. How can He do this? Who Who is this kid? Verse 23, call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And friends, He's not the very least of all of the divine emanations. He's not God having, having reduced Himself and reduced and reduced and reduced this thousands of echelons and levels until He gets down to the very end and the bottom one, Jesus can finally touch these horrible humans down here. And He's not the best of us, the Teacher that's risen from among us and, and oh, He can lift our conscience. No, He is God in the flesh in complete Agreement with the rest of Revelation. In Him is the fullness of deity in bodily form. He is God in the flesh. That's how He can do it. How can He save us from our sins because of who He is? He is God. Everything that makes the Father God makes the Son God. What is it? It is eternal self-existence. There's no beginning. There's no end. There's no creation. There's no stopping. It is eternal self-existence. It is eternal complete knowledge. It is eternal will. It is the ability to have a will. And then, here's the important part, to be able to accomplish that will. Okay? How many of you would like to be driving a Lamborghini by the end of this week? Okay, we had some honest ones in the first service too, and I appreciate that. Way to go, Jeremiah. We'll work on that. Maybe we get a matchbox for Jeremiah. What do you think? You know... I've never been in a Lamborghini. I'd be willing to give it a shot squeezing into one of them. I can't imagine that it would be easy to fit into, but I'd give it a shot, right? So I'm going to will that I have a Lamborghini by the end of the week. You know the difference between me and God? His will can make it happen. Mine cannot. And friends, whatever it is that makes God, the Father God, is the same which makes the Son God, which makes the Holy Spirit God. And yet the Bible says there's only one God why do we believe in a trinity that's the reason because he was god in the flesh saving us from our sins and friends he is the ointment in the the fly in the ointment for the pharisees and he's the fly in the ointment for us because as long as we see him as a baby in a manger and just cute and cuddly, I was carrying one of my grandsons around here and so many folks say, he's such a cute little baby. He's a cute little baby. Just a cute little baby. You know, as long as we keep Jesus in a manger, he's just a cute little baby. As long as we have him feeding people and, and teaching the ignorant, then, then he's social consciousness trying to raise our level of understanding. My friend, put him on the cross. Put him on the cross as the one who died for my sins put Him as the, the risen one, the one who rose out of the grave, victorious over the grave, now we have a problem. How is it that He's able to do this? It's only God who can forgive sins. And the Pharisees said the exact same thing. They said the exact same thing. Jesus comes to him in Mark chapter 2, and He's talking to the guy that's on the paralytic and... Says, Your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus goes, You're right. You're right. You got it. Way to go. Proud of you. You know why he can forgive sins? Abraham Lincoln, president during the Civil War, when deserters from the Union Army, when they catch them, they execute them. And most of those, a lot of those executions, they would bring to Abraham Lincoln. Well, he didn't want to send them to a firing squad. He said if we put those boys in front of a firing squad, it'd scare them to death. I think that's funny. Nobody laughed in the first service either. I think that's funny. But anyway, so Abraham Lincoln said, God, Jesus cannot forgive my sins. Death 2,000 years ago cannot forgive my sin. I don't know if he died with that, but that's one of the things he said at one point in his life. And what's fascinating to me is that those deserters could stand in front of him And he thought he had power to forgive them. He thought he had power to pardon them. And yet Jesus doesn't have power to forgive me of my sin. Do you know who has power to forgive? The one who wrote the law. Abraham Lincoln represented the one who wrote the law. And he looked at him and said, I pardon you, you're forgiven. You don't have to be executed. And friends, Jesus is the one who wrote the law. And he looks at us and he says, I'm willing to give you forgiveness of sin. I'm willing to offer you. I'm, I'm offering you a gift. I'm going to make an exchange here. I will give you forgiveness of sin. Here's what I want from you. I want your life. Will you give me your life? I've given you mine. And friend, as the one who wrote the law, he is fully authorized to look at you and say, forgiven. That is a great message. friends, that same God who revealed Himself to Mary and she submitted and obeyed. And that same God who revealed Himself to Joseph who submitted and obeyed, got up immediately, rose in the middle of the night to run to Egypt. That same God comes to us. And He reveals Himself to us with a very simple and clear command. In 1 John three twenty-three, it says, And this is His commandment. Here it is that you believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that you love one another just like He commanded us. Here's the command, that you believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Now, you know, I know, we're going to come to church two, three times a year, and we just want to hear about baby Jesus and all that, and that's fine, I understand that, I get it. But if you're here today, and you're starting to hear something that you haven't heard before, could I challenge you to take just a moment, to take just a moment and allow God's Word through the presence of His Holy Spirit to speak to your need, to speak to your situation. When Jesus looks at us and says, you, come, follow me. When He looks at us and says, I am the, I'm the way, I am the truth, I'm the life nobody can get to the Father except through me. That is a bold claim. Would you be willing to just open His Word and allow His Bible to speak to you through the illumination of the Holy Spirit? Allow His message to speak to you. Would you be willing to do that? That is His clear command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. There are a lot of us this morning who have already accepted Him. And yet there's still difficulties. There's still doubts. Oh, I don't know. God could never use me. And I know he wants to get things done, but I'll let somebody else do it. I wonder if he comes to us with another clear command that he gave to Thomas over in John chapter 20 when he said, stop doubting and believe. What could we get done in this this valley if we were just willing to say, God, be it done to me according to thy will. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. His invitation is a relationship with Him because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross that began in what we celebrate this week, His birth into our existence. Let's pray. Father, we want to say thank You for revealing yourself to us in christ because if you had not come looking for us we'd have never found you god we looked from the bottom up for thousands of years and all we could find was anger and punishment and destruction of crops and let's make sacrifices to try to appease the gods and then you showed up in jesus god there's no way we could have ever conceived how great the love of God for us that we should be called the sons of God. So Father, we want to say thank you for revealing yourself to us in Christ. And as we hear your word, as we hear your Holy Spirit speak to us just like he spoke to them so many years ago, and issues a challenge introduces us to a command God what will be our response could it please be this morning we're going to follow we're going to, we're going to obey be it done to me according to your will and father for those of us who are still struggling with doubt and unbelief we want to be like the father of that, that, that demon possessed boy that said I believe but help my unbelief Father, be glorified this morning in Jesus. We're going to take Lord's Supper this morning.